On today's very, very special edition of UTR, we're reading some of Hollywood's most iconic scenes, so don't move a muscle. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to this very special edition of the Unproduced Table Read here on the Popcorn Talk Network. Guys, my name is Jeff Graham. If you want to find me online, you can do so at Jeffrey Graham. And normally this is a show where we read Hollywood's hottest unproduced pilots and features. But today we're breaking the rules. (laughs) And we're reading some already existing, well-produced, well-known, iconic scenes. Um, For those who are big fans of the show, you might know that we read the Friends pilot about... Three or four months ago now. Was it that long ago? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, that was like episode 15, and this is episode 31. I remember it like it was yesterday. (laughs) It was so much fun. But that's, uh, I think you guys kind of liked hearing something that you were already familiar with, so I thought it might be kind of a fun thing to give another shot. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so I actually had each of our cast members and me as well. I don't want to call myself an actor because that would insult all of you. <laughs> um, but I had each of us bring in a scene. And so it'll be fun. Um, let's have each of you guys introduce yourselves where they can find you on Twitter. And we'll go over casting before we read each scene. So just let's introduce ourselves, just who we are now for our listeners. Cool. Hi, I'm Adrian Snow. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Adrian Snow. Uh, I'm Andrew Guy. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Andrew Guy. I'm Roxy Stryer. You can find me everywhere at Roxy Stryer. Hey guys, I'm Timothy Michael. You can find me everywhere at I am Timothy Mike. Hey, I'm Haley O'Connor on Instagram at Haley Wood. Uh, I'm Mike Kalinowski. Find me on the internet at Mike Kalinowski. Great. Um, so. Part of when did th- that happen? I'm yeah. so not okay. That was. So I just never, they me off I never like, yeah. give my Instagram handle. Uh, oh. <laughs> Every single it's one been of that. Like... So it's also my YouTube channel if you want youtube.com slash Haleywood. And that's W-O-U-L-D, right? That's right. I'm a real asshole. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, honestly, when I read Haley that, Woods, I, was like, I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Haley Wood. Okay. Yeah. It's better than Hallie Haley Scott Wood. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Sometimes. Nice. <laughs> For those of you guys who haven't turned off the stream and are still here, um, <laughs> we um, part of the reason I wanted to do this was just to give our actors a chance to kind of read scenes they'd already maybe seen and kind of discuss that. But also, it's kind of fun to discuss what makes these scenes iconic. Um, so we'll go ahead and start with my scene. Um, <laughs> I brought in a scene from what I think is the best movie ever made. It's not my favorite movie. Really? It's one of them, but I, to me, we're reading a scene from American Beauty, which I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen or listened to. To me, it's the only perfect movie. Um, I think like every single frame and beat now, and moment of that movie is perfect. Do you say that be from a writer's standpoint or just overall? I mean, like, I think it's everything. a perfect screenplay, but what's really cool is Sam Mendes directed the movie, mm-hmm. and it was his first film. Which, F that. Was it really? Yeah. yeah. He'd done a lot of theater. So he's a big theater director, Mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense because the movie's kind of theatrical. But then you look at the performances, and it's like one of Kevin Spacey's best performances, and I love Annette Bening. Mm -hmm. I think it's her best. Can I? I, Okay, I was just in an acting class, and everyone shit all over Annette Bening in this movie. What? Just in this movie that they were like, she was in a different movie. And I was like, whoa, I never heard this crazy. I think everyone's kind of heightened. I think it's sort of a deliberately theatrical movie Mm -hmm. for, for. on purpose and I just I really like American Beauty well, it's good. <laughs> it, it totally is theatrical because Mendez talked about how they did rehearsals for months beforehand yeah. it was like a very important part of their filmmaking process well yeah. and I feel like it's throwing back to a lot of the classic plays that were big in like the 50s and 60s like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and like all just all these big plays about like American suburbia mm-hmm. and like discontented middle class Americans and mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I really like the movie. The scene we're reading today guys is um, the dinner scene so for those of you guys who probably 
guessed, this is going to be a very spoiler-filled show if you haven't seen these <laughs> uh, movies. But basically, this is the part of the movie where um, Lester, who's played by Kevin Spacey, is kind of like reclaiming his life mm-hmm. and finally standing up for himself. And this is um, a dinner scene where tensions are coming to a head. So reading this scene, we have Carolyn, um, played by Adrian. We have Lester, played by Andrew. And Jane, who's their teenage daughter, played by Haley. Hmm. All right. Interior Burnham House dining room, moments later. Lester sits at the table in sloppy clothes, eating his dinner voraciously and drinking beer from a bottle. Across from him, Carolyn picks at her food, watching him with contempt. Easy listening music plays on the stereo. We hear the back door slam, then Jane enters and quickly takes her seat at the table. Sorry, I'm late. No, no, that's quite all right, dear. Your father and I were just discussing his day at work. Why don't you tell our daughter about it, honey? (laughs) Jane stares at both of her parents, apprehensive. Lester looks at Carolyn darkly, then flashes a, you asked for it, grin. Janie, today I quit my job, and then I told my boss to fuck himself, and then I blackmailed him for almost $60,000. Pass the asparagus. See, your father seems to think this kind of behavior is something to be proud of. And your mother seems to prefer I go through life like a fucking prisoner while she keeps my dick in a jar, in a mason jar under the sink. How dare you speak to me that way in front of her. And I'm a, and, and I marvel that you can be so contemptuous of me on the same day that you lose your job. Lose it? I didn't lose it. It's not like, oops, where'd my job go? I quit. Someone passed the oh, asparagus. Oh, and I want to thank you for putting me under the added pressure of being the sole breadwinner now. I already have a no, job. No, no. Don't give a second thought as to who's going to pay the mortgage. We'll just leave it all up to Carolyn. You mean you're going to take care of everything now, Carolyn? Yes. I don't mind. I really don't. You mean everything? You don't mind having the sole responsibility? Your husband feels he could just quit his job. Well, someone pass the fucking asparagus, Okay, please. I'm not going to be part of this. Sit down. Jane does so, surprised and intimidated by the power in his voice. Lester gets up, crosses to the other side of the table to get a plate of asparagus, then sits again as he serves himself. I'm sick and tired of being treated like I don't exist. You two do whatever you want, whenever you want, and you do it when you want and how you want to do it. I don't complain. All I want oh, is the Oh, you don't complain. Courtesy. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. I must be psychotic then if you don't complain. What is this? Am I locked away in pad itself somewhere hallucinating? That's the only explanation I can think of. Because Lester hurls the plate of asparagus at the wall with such force that it shatters, frightening Carolyn and Jane. Don't interrupt me, honey. <laughs> he goes back to eating his meal as if nothing unusual has happened. Carolyn sits in her chair, shivering with rage. Jane just stares at the plate in front of her. Oh, and another thing. From now on, we're going to alternate our dinner music. Because, frankly, I don't think I'm alone here. I'm really tired of this Lawrence Welk shit. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Um... So part of the reason I chose that scene was because I feel like it's a very great embodiment of the movie. Mm -hmm. Which I feel like kind of can handle, like, four tones at once in every mm-hmm. single scene. Because what people forget, they think of it as this very serious American sort of drama, yeah. but it's also very funny. Yeah. Um, like, I think it's, like, really playing with elements of satire, and I just think Carolyn and Lester have such an interesting... What, did, what do you guys think, having read the scene, how did you kind of feel about it? I I forgot that it was funny, yes. Um, <laughs> and then also, but it's it's truthful, because when... When people argue, like, I, when I think back to any argument I've had with anyone, like, uh, randomly, I'll just drop the most random joke in the middle <laughs> of, like, screaming my head off at someone. And they'll, like, all of a sudden, they'll have, like, this moment of, like, did she just make fun of me? Did she just crack <laughs> a joke? And yeah. so that's, that's a truthful thing that I've done and I've seen other people do or have had done to me of, like, halfway through an argument will just be, like, 
you know what? <laughs> and I hate your shoes. Yeah. Your shoes have always bothered me. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. what? And so, yeah, that was truthful. Um, I was just intimidated. I think this is the most intimidating scene in the whole package. <laughs> You're welcome, guys. The, the weight that's carried behind this and the performance and the movie and all that. Um, I just, I was just excited to do it. And I think that, like, his, um, what is the word I'm looking for? His, like, he's just so disconnected. His, like, mm-hmm. he just doesn't give a shit about anything. Um, and I, I just love it. I just, I love how little he cares. And you can mm-hmm. just tell in exactly the way he says stuff. Because I think we've all been there. When you've like been in a situation where you care a lot, and then one day you're like, "Nope, yeah, I just don't give a shit anymore." And then this is how he acts, and I, I love it. It's yeah, watching it unravel. Yeah, like when I when I stole all that coffee from Starbucks, and I started, <laughs> I lost my job, and then I was told <laughs> I had to finish my job. Like I had to finish my shift up. I was gonna say, where's the where's the Starbucks? I was once. let go from the company, and then I was told that I wasn't supposed to know until like Monday. But I found out Saturday, so I had two more shifts. Oh, oh, um, yeah. And that if I left, I wouldn't get unemployment because I was let go. Yep. And so I would just yell at people. I'd be like, "What the fuck do you want?" <laughs> like, and people would be like, "What?" I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I have to stay here to get unemployment. I no longer work for this company." <laughs> and people would be like, were there. "Oh, yeah. holy shit!" <laughs> and people were like, "Oh, I totally understand. I'll just have a talk off." Yeah. <laughs> get it. Yeah. So that's yeah. definitely where you pulled from for this. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, guys, thanks. I thought you read that very well. Thanks yeah, for thank reading. Um, for those who haven't seen American Beauty, it's very, See, very good. Yeah. Watch it. Um, it's Alan Ball, who also created Six Feet Under. Mm-hmm. I just, he's such a gifted writer. And Didn't I it feel do... very Sorkin-y as yeah. you were reading yeah. it? Yeah. Like, yeah. All those it's words. definitely, yeah, I mean, I do think upbringing. sometimes the movie kind of feels like a play that was put on film. Yeah. Um, but not is, in a fences kind of way. But not in a, exactly. No, real talk. Real talk. Real talk. I think, yeah, like, there's enough choices that really make it justified to be put mm-hmm. in, especially those, like, dream sequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just really like American Beauty. So, very <laughs> well read, guys. Sam and his first? Yeah. yeah. I think it was his first movie ever. That Directed? might not be true. Well, I don't know, but I mean, it's just... Yeah. Come on, to movie trivia, man. Yeah. I know. I don't know. That's what I'm asking. But like, to see this, but then to see him do like Skyfall. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, like, but I think he had been a. How much he grew in that short of time then? Yeah. yeah. He'd been a theatrical uh, yeah. director for a lot of Shakespeare. A few years I think at that he'd point. He'd done like a lot of Hamlet. Yeah. He does a really little thing cool right here that I could look it up on. Yeah, absolutely. But even Mendez will do things in the movie, like when Lester's at his computer in his office, the data on the screen looks like prison cells. Like it looks like prison bars. And. I just think, like, there's so many moments and specific choices made in that movie with directing that I just feel like, and writing, and performances that, like, everyone can learn from. Yep. I just think yeah. it's, it's... Only 11 films, too. Yeah, he's a, yeah. He's a really it. interesting character. A lot of directors, when you go and look at their actual credits, it's like, oh, they've only done five I, yeah. films. <laughs> like, I love it this way. Yeah. I guess for me, I remember Chris Cooper and yeah. his stuff. Yeah. He's oh, amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. heartbreaking. Oh, God. That, oh, and that scene. find out... Oh. It is like that's what I'm loving. You don't picture, you don't think of that. You, yeah. you go from laughing to crying alternately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's this scene. With, sorry, this will be the last thing I say. But when Carolyn, I don't know if you guys remember, Selling I will the clean house. this house today. I and will she's sell like, this house. Today. Yeah, I will, I will sell, sell this house. Oh, yeah. That's the best scene for me. In that and movie. then like the family leaves and they don't buy it, and she like slams her head against the window and starts sobbing. Yeah. And you're wow. just like, incredible. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I just so find good. that movie kind of jaw dropping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, very well read, guys. Next, we have Tim's selection. Yay. Tim, let's yeah. talk Woo-hoo. about it. So um, I picked the plane scene from Bridesmaids. Um, 
I remember seeing this movie in the theaters and just laughing my ass off because I thought the entire movie was just so funny. Mm. Um, it's directed by Paul Feig and um, written by one of its actresses, Kristen Wiig and uh, Annie Momolo. Yep. Um, and I just think Kristen Wiig is just a brilliant actress. She comes from yeah. SNL. Her yeah. improv skills are amazing and you can see it through all of the actresses in this film. Um, and not only is it written really well it's acted very well and it's got an all female cast which I which I really love um, in the lead roles at least um, because I feel like for this generation it was like a first of its kind mm-hmm. um, totally and it, was, it got nominated for best picture it did get yeah, yeah it did get nominated for best picture for screenplay, for screenplay. Yeah. Um, and I just I just remember seeing it and just being like this I just love this film mm-hmm. and I bought it on DVD like right after it came out mm-hmm. um, the scene we are about to read um, and for those of you who have not seen Bridesmaids um, so it's a story about Annie who is a a broke um, and thirty ish forty something year old um, whose life is a mess and her best friend Lillian gets engaged and she obviously has no choice but to be the, the maid of honor and. Um, as we all know, this whole wedding experience is very expensive, and Annie's broke. So what happens is um, Lillian ends up asking another female, who is named uh, Helen, to be in the wedding as well. And Helen's rich. She's got her whole life together. So she's pretty much the polar opposite of Annie. Um, and in this scene, they are headed to Vegas to um, celebrate their bachelorette party. Um, and Annie is stuck in coach because she can't afford first class and she's trying to sneak into first class. Um, and it's literally one of my favorite scenes. So, so for cast, um, I have um, Becca is going to be Andrew. And this is another thing that I loved about this is that this whole project is we can gender bend. Um, and I think it was appropriate. It's not something that you're like, oh my God, that's supposed to be a woman's role because it's really not. I mean, I think mm-hmm. anybody could play these roles. Um, Becca is going to be Andrew. Who was Becca in the movie again? Becca was the... Annie, um, Ellie Kemper, right? Yes, Ellie Kemper. Okay, right, right, right. And then... Um, Kimmy Schmidt? Yeah, Kimmy Schmidt. Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, Rita is going to be Adrian, um, who is the the sex mm-hmm. crazed one with the teenage boys. <laughs> I looked it up. Okay, good. Um, Annie, um, I will be playing Annie. Um, Helen will be Roxy. Helen is the one rich step. AF. Yep. Um, Lillian will be played by Haley, my BF. Um, and then the male flight attendant, aka Steve, aka Stove, will Steph. be played by Mike. Oh my god, I love Stove. Hey, hey. Stove. All right. <laughs> um, excellent um, selection. I also love Bryce. Yeah. Bryce. Thank you, and I'm really excited to dive in. Great. Um, are you guys already? Yeah. 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 Awesome. Do it. Interior first class day. Becca and Rita are drinking. So you don't even have sex anymore? Oh, no. I have sex constantly. The sex is constant, but he hasn't kissed me in five years. What are you doing when you're having sex then? Oh, you know, I'm just thinking about other things and wishing it would stop. Sometimes I just <laughs> want to watch a daily show without him entering me. <laughs> Helen and Lillian are drinking champagne. The curtain sweeps open. And a drugged Annie comes sauntering in. And then we're going to the MGM Grand Wet Republic Ultra Pool. The people from the real world go all the time. I'm so excited. Annie pops up next to them and she rubs Lillian's head. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Annie gives her a big druggy smile, then leans back on Lillian's chair. I'm good. I'm, good. I'm so much more relaxed now. Thank you, Helen. I just, I just feel like I'm excited. I'm relaxed and I'm ready to part. With the best of them, and I'm gonna go down to the river. Wow, <laughs> it looks like someone is really relaxing now. What are you guys talking about up here? We're going to a restaurant tonight. I know the owner. Oh, you too. Oh, Helen. Woohoo. Helen knows the owner. Big whoop. Hey, Annie, let's go take a nap. What do you say? Steve, a male flight attendant, appears. Miss, you cannot be up here. Oh, 
hello, Grandpa. <laughs> Sorry, I just want to be up here with my friends. I'm with this group. Yeah, can she just stay up here for a while? The sign's off. No, coach passengers aren't allowed up in first class. It's policy. Sorry. Gosh, this plane is very strict. <laughs> Welcome to Germany. Okay, <laughs> okay I'm going to go take a nap. I think that's a good idea. Going to catch you on the flip side, motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's... I'm leaving. Annie sweeps open the curtain and she steps into coach. This should be open. It's civil rights. This is the 90s. <laughs> right. It's not. You're in the wrong decade. <laughs> you are. Okay, right. I am. Holy shit. What did you give her? She looks at Helen who shrugs like, I don't know what's wrong with her. Interior, first class moments later. Annie comes back into first class wearing sunglasses and sits down next to a man who looks like Enrique Iglesias. Miss... Oh no no no! It's it's not me. Yes, it's you. Just go back to your seat. <laughs> no, I'm 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 with I'm with him. I'm I'm Mrs. Iglesias. No, you're not. You're just up here and you put on sunglasses. Out. Oh, no, I don't wanna. Lillian and Helen get up from their seats. She can have my seat. Everyone should experience first class in their lives, and I don't want Annie to miss out just because she couldn't afford a ticket. I'm afraid it's not allowed, ma'am. Help me, I'm poor. <laughs> Please, we're a whole wedding party. I'm the bride. I'm getting married. The seat is empty. She's obviously nervous. We'll calm her down. I understand, but Claire is right. Everyone get back to your seats. <laughs> you especially. You have three seconds to get back to your seat. Ugh, you can't get anywhere in three seconds. <laughs> well, you gotta try. Ugh, you're setting me up for a loss already. <laughs> Whatever you say, wh- which stove. It's Steve. <laughs> stove. What kind of name is that? It's not my name. My name is Steve. Are you an appliance? No, I'm a man, and my name is Steve. <laughs> you're a flight attendant. That's absolutely accurate. <laughs> the flight attendant glares at her, and Annie leaps back oh, into coach. <laughs> Gosh, that's such a funny scene. Oh, it's yeah. so good. It's Why so is good. that scene so funny? Because I think, like, comedy sometimes, like, Bridesmaids is just, like, objectively just so funny. It's so good. It really is. It's just well-written and mm-hmm. well-performed. Tim, yeah. great job with Thank that. Thank you. Everybody, great job. Yeah, um, I, so it was really hard cutting that scene because, obviously, you guys know right after that, they go into Melissa McCarthy's character and yeah. John, who plays the Mars on the plane. Yes. And I was like, God, I, we could literally read this entire... Movie. <laughs> I mean, literally, yeah. we could read this entire plane scene because it's so funny. Not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's civil rights. It's the 90s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're in the wrong decade. No, you are. Yeah. It's, it's, it does okay. feel improvised. You can yeah. tell that they yeah. have that train. It feels yeah. like, yeah, this yeah. is just what you would obnoxiously say. <laughs> She's a groundling, just yeah. saying. Yeah. 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 It's very loose. I, I know what you mean. And I think sometimes you, when you see a comedy, it feels so formulaic or you yeah. can mm-hmm. feel the, the room the that you yeah. have to head. tightening up the jokes and you can kind yeah. of feel the writer, you know, mechanically making jokes. Whereas this is so loose and kind of improv Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. even what I love about the scene is that even the 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 sub characters, like the flight attendant, is so, so prominent. Funny. Like yeah. like when you look back at the scene, all you think about is oh stove, the <laughs> flight attendant, yeah. because yeah. that's like it's just infamous now. Because I, of, I feel like if somebody had pitched that to me though, and I was sitting there like yeah, and she's gonna pretend to call him stove, she thinks his name is stove, I'd be like that's the dumbest joke I've ever heard. <laughs> like yeah. it's but obviously yeah. Steve, but then it plays so well. Yeah. 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 I mean, anytime a comedy script gets nominated for an Oscar, you know it's a well-written script. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's we've seen so many attempts at bridesmaids again. Yeah. And I think this movie, you look back at like important movies, and it's hard to argue sort of the importance of this movie in the cinematic landscape over the last twenty years. Like, mm-hmm. I do feel like it's 
Even Ghostbusters, which was, I think, good but not as great, mm-hmm. was trying to do this, you know? Well, it's like that whole Apatow gang had their run for like a decade yeah. almost. It was just like six dudes in like every movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this type of thing where it was like a, a crew of women that just kicked ass and made a movie <laughs> that was if, just as funny, if not funnier than mm-hmm. what Apatow had been doing was like, it's the same thing that's going on with everything in Hollywood. It's like, just give everyone else a chance. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. We know yeah. what we're yeah. doing. Well, this is why I also love the movie um, Girls Trip that just came out, because yeah. that is also mm-hmm. an all-female cast, and it's all and it's an all-black cast. Mm-hmm. Um, minus, you know, there's a few other, you know, Caucasian Racist. cast members. <laughs> right. um, but I feel like Girls Trip got a lot of its its innovation and its... its um, it's uh, influence from this script. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Or just living single. Living single. <laughs> or yeah. living single. Yes, I know. Like I know. Adrian, original. Yes. <laughs> before Sex in the City. Yes. Yes. Living single. Of course. Um, <laughs> before Friends. Before Friends. <laughs> well, I thanks for say. picking this scene, Tim. I All think it's a really fun single. scene. I thought you guys also read it very well. Yeah, makes fun. you want to go back and watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, up next we have a very iconic TV scene. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of the show Breaking Bad before. <laughs> I've never heard. Sorry, of Sorry, Breaking show. What? <laughs> um, this is the show that won um, Brian Cranston five consecutive Emmys. Right? It's just insane. Yeah. Do, do you want to talk a bit about what Breaking Bad means to you, Andrew? This is Andrew's um, scene. Just so you guys. Yeah. Know. So I picked Breaking Bad, and I remember I moved to uh, Eugene, Oregon, all by myself after like my first year of college. And uh, I didn't really have any friends or know what to do. And I remember Breaking Bad came out on AMC, and I watched it. And I hadn't really watched Mad Men or The Sopranos yet. I'd watched The Wire in college. And I was like, huh, what is this? And I remember it was like the very first episode I saw was when Walt has to kill the guy in the basement by choking him out with a bike lock. Mm-hmm. And he like stabs him with a piece of glass or the broken plate and the yeah. leg and all that. And I was just watching it, and I was like... With the pole? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was the first time I'd ever seen that show. And I was just That's like, crazy. oh my god. <laughs> like I was like, like shaking thinking mm-hmm. about it. And so... Um, so we're doing that scene. We're doing that scene. <laughs> and I've got a plate. Um, <laughs> no, so I went through and... I've watched the, the whole series twice, and this scene, I remember the very first time I watched it, and going through again, I just remember writing it down. I was just like, Grey Matter, season one, episode five, like 30 minutes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we got this exercise brought to us, I went back and watched it. And mm-hmm. I just, what I love about this is that you could have never watched the show before, and you'll, I mean, it's only five episodes in, mm-hmm. so that makes sense, but you, you <laughs> get exactly who every single one of these characters are. Mm-hmm. They have an incredibly strong point of view on what exactly is happening. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of before you see Walt change, but you do see that at the end of the day, he's always going to do what's best for him and his family in mm-hmm. his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just love this scene. It's definitely going to be quite the left turn from Bridesmaids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, this is uh, when Walt and his family are talking about... Um, his cancer decision and what he's going to do with treatment. Great. Um, casting, really quick. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to play Walt because I had to. Uh, <laughs> I pl- had Adrian as Skyler. I've got Roxy playing Marie. I've got Tim playing Walt Jr. And I've got uh, Mike playing Hank. And I'm sorry, Haley, I do love you. <laughs> I really do. Very talented. Yes. <laughs> All right. Interior White House living room evening. Close on the party platter, now picked over, a hand enters frame and picks up a cube of cheese. We pull back to see a miserable Walt as he pops the cheese into his mouth. The, quote, intervention has been going on for a while, and everyone looks worse for wear. Marie is skeptical. Hank is uncomfortable. Walter Jr., sullen. Sitting in his favorite recliner, all Walt wants to do is pick up a remote, turn on the tube, and watch a little Star Trek Voyager. But no, he listens dutifully as Skylar holds court. She sits on the couch, clutching a throw pillow to her belly. The pillow is embroidered with the adage... Find joy in the little things. 
The bottom line is that you're the bottom line is that you're being selfish, Walt. Skylar catches herself then rephrases more carefully in quote intervention speak. I mean I personally feel that the decision you're making is not in the best interest of our family unit, in my opinion. I'm the one who's sick. Uh uh-uh, uh, it's not your turn yet. <laughs> you agreed to listen to what everyone had to say first. Fine. Walt leans back, annoyed. <clears throat> Elliot offered to help because he cares about you. I know you have issues with accepting help from others, but under the present circumstances, don't you think that those issues are basically just bullshit? I mean, not valid. A beat? Everyone's looking at Walt. Am I allowed to answer? No. <laughs> Here's how I see it. You're drowning in the ocean, and someone throws you a life preserver. It's a no-brainer. You grab that thing and hold on till you get to shore. You don't say, no thanks, I'd rather sink and get mauled by sharks. Silence. We get the feeling Skylar's been rolling out the metaphors for hours. Okay. I guess we can start going around the circle, and you're all important part of this family, and Walt should know how you feel. Hank, let's start with you. Shit. Hank was just grabbing some grapes from the platter. He reluctantly puts them back. Uh, okay, uh... Well, Wait, take the talking pillow. <laughs> Skyler passes the embroidered pillow to Hank, who awkwardly places it on his lap. He turns to Walt, struggling to think of something meaningful to say. Uh, look, buddy, you, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know, I don't tell you often enough, but I care about you a hell of a lot. And this whole cancer thing, it's... Let's face it, you got to a delta shit hand of cards. Marie's got a tight-lipped expression like she just knows Hank is going to say something stupid, but Skylar gives him an encouraging nod. But sometimes your, your luck can change. I can't tell you how many times I started with a shit hand and ended up with a full house. The key is to hang in there and keep placing your bets. Marie rolls her eyes. Hank, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, come on now, let him speak. That's what we're here for. Go on, Hank. A beat while Hank tries to come up with some more bullshit. Okay, well, uh, look at it this way. It's the bottom of the ninth, base loaded, you're up. But you got a bum arm, and you know you can't hit a homer, so you either let the pinch hitter take the bat, or you can hold on to your pride and lose the game. You get what I'm saying? Walt, brow furrowed, shakes his head, nope. No. Hank exhales, the poor <clears throat> guy's working up a sweat. Uh, you, you, you got your pride, I, I get it. You want to take care of everything yourself, but you don't have to, pal, we're, we're all here for you, and if it's... Daddy Warbucks wants to chip in. Well, I gotta agree with your old lady on this one. You know, take the money and run. Hank slumps down in his seat, out of gas. He holds up the talking pillow. Somebody take this, please. <laughs> Skyler takes the pillow and offers it to Walter Jr., who's been silent and glum this whole time. Walter Jr., I know there's something going on up there. No, now's your chance to spit it out. I have homework to do. You can do it later. Left with no words, Walter Jr. accepts the pillow. He stares down at it, brooding. Go ahead. Tell your dad how you feel. Okay. I'm pretty pissed off. Tell him, not me. Walter Jr. looks at his dad, and it all comes pouring out. All the anger he's been bottling up. I'm pissed off at you. Because you're a coward. You get cancer, and two minutes later, you're ready to give up. What if, what if you'd given up on me? Remember when I could barely stand how you helped me every day till I was able to walk? Remember how hellacious that was? And, and you were scared of a little chemotherapy? Despite Walter's stubbornness... This gets to him. It's heartbreaking. Everyone is quiet, absorbing this. 
Then Marie takes the pillow and turns to Walt. I think you should do whatever you want to do. What? Uh, you wanted us to be honest about our feelings. Well, this is honestly how I feel. Walt's the one with cancer. This is his decision. It's not up to us. <sighs> Thanks a lot, Marie. Nice ambush. Hey, I wasn't planning on agreeing with Walt, but after hearing all of you talk about his future like he doesn't even have a say He's in it... He's not going to have a future if he doesn't get the treatment. Easy for you to say. You're not the one who has to do it. I'm a medical professional. I see people in this situation all the time. Some of them don't want to spend their last months dying slowly in a hospital picked over by doctors, unable to get out of bed or go to the bathroom by themselves. Is that really what you want for Walt? Swayed by this argument, Hank raises his hand. Uh, can, can I take back what I said before? I, I agree with Marie. Walt wants to die like a man. Skylar panics, realizing that all of this is backfiring on her. I don't want him to die at all. That's the whole point of this. That's why I asked you here. Oh, so we're not allowed to have our own opinions. Chaos erupts as Skylar and Marie fight like hell. Well, like sisters. And everyone starts talking over each other at once. This isn't some game, Marie. This is my husband's life we're talking about. Why are you trying to sabotage us? You've been doing this since we were kids. You'd throw a fit if you didn't get your way. Girls, girls, girls. Cool it, all right? We're supposed to be talking about Walt here. Yeah, this is stupid. He's not going to change his mind, so we might as well save our breath. Shut up! Shut, shut the fuck up! Everyone stops talking. Walt reaches over and snatches the pillow from the couch. I've got the talking pillow now. Armed with everyone's attention, Walt <clears throat> calmly settles back into his chair. He addresses the whole group, but he's mainly speaking to Skylar. I've listened, <clears throat> I've listened to everything you have to say, and I appreciate how much, you've thought, how much thought you've put into my situation. But don't you think I've gone through all this in my head a thousand times and weighed all my options? Walt turns to Skylar. You think taking a handout from Elliot is the answer, but nothing is ever no strings attached. I'll never be able to pay him back, and after I die, you're going to be indebted to him forever. Do you really want that hanging over you? I don't care about that, Walt. Well, I do. And I would prefer to die holding my head up high rather than eating shit. Please stop talking about dying. Why? That's what this is all about, isn't it? You're trying to delay the inevitable by putting me in some experimental treatment that may not even work. It doesn't come with a guarantee. I could go through hell and still end up dead. Well, you're not the only one this affects, Walt. What about me and Walter Jr.? What about... Don't you want to see your daughter grow up? Skylar is choked up, and Walt is too. Of course I do. But you have to accept the fact that it's not going to happen. You heard the doctor. Best case scenario, even with the treatment, I'd be, it'd be a miracle if I made it to her third birthday. Silence. The whole family absorbs this terrible thought. What good is another year of survival if I've spent that time undergoing chemo and radiation, too sick to work or have sex or even enjoy a meal? I don't want to take 20 pills a day, and no offense, Hank, I don't want to lose my hair, <laughs> and I don't want to feel like shit <laughs> all the time. I know you're scared, but you're not alone. We are going to be with you every step of the way. I know that. And that's the worst part. You and Walter Jr. are going to be taking care of me when I can't function anymore. You're going to be sticking, with, sticking me with IVs and emptying my bedpan and cleaning up my puke. And when I die, that's what you're going to remember about me. And I'm sorry, but I don't want to be remembered that way. I didn't get a choice about getting cancer. This is the only choice I get to make. For once, Skylar doesn't know what to say. Walt has clearly moved everyone with his argument. As they all sit quietly, letting his words sink in. Woo! Yeah. 
Um, that's you remember why this show is the show that it is. We read a scene like that. Mm-hmm. I do have a question though, Andrew. I mean, Breaking Bad being pretty much heralded as the best TV show ever. There are so many scenes to pick from. Yeah. So like, I'm just wondering like why this one. I know you talked about it a bit at the top, but um, I think yeah. Again, I think it has to do with like uh, really getting to see who all the characters are perfectly. <laughs> um, I really love the moments of like that you don't get to see of, of like the fact that he wants to turn on Voyager. Mm-hmm. Like you would never know that without turning on the script. I love that you like you see the shit. He has to put the strawberry, the grapes back. Like yeah. you don't mm-hmm. see that in the show. And I also think that the the thing that people remember the most about Breaking Bad is how badass Walt is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is a completely different side of him being a badass. This is like mm-hmm. not him being like a hardcore, you know, gangster. This is him just being like I don't have a choice in anything in my life but this one thing, and I have to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just a, a really cool side to him, I think. Mm-hmm. Has anyone in here not seen Breaking Bad? I've seen the first <gasps> season. They really? Were. You haven't? Uh, yeah. What were you going to say, Mike? Uh, well, I was going to say something. I, I follow a lot of writers on Twitter, just for my own. They, they, they're so good on Twitter, the writers. Mm-hmm. And everyone unanimously will say, because there's a lot of people ask them like questions and they'll do question series, and they all agree that if you want an, a look at the best written pilot, it's Breaking Bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does everything a pilot needs to do, but not in a formulaic way. Uh-huh. And I think that that is so great. Like, uh, So that to me, but I've never, I've never seen the show. I, I, I know I need to, but it's one of those shows, that is one of those ones, it, first two seasons, no one really followed it. It wasn't yeah. until yeah. like three yeah. or four were kicked in. And and so I, at that point, I was just kind of like, well, I'll let, I'll let it finish at this point, and I'll go back at this point. Yeah. So it's you, just a matter of finding the time. What did you think, with no context, really? Like, how Oh, I you... knew I knew exactly the scene. Like, I okay. knew. It's so much in our uh, world, yeah. Yeah. the so show, what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Culture, yeah. yeah. I think what I loved about this scene is that it puts a new face on cancer. Um, and I was going to pick a scene from 50-50, the movie 50-50. Oh, my God, I love that movie. Um, I know, I love that movie. That movie. Um, just because of the cancer aspect. And, and I, I just feel like cancer touches everybody's life in some different way um and i just i loved that this shed a, a kind of different light and a kind of different um choice on mm-hmm. cancer mm, yeah that's a really good point yeah breaking bad is so interesting because it's just so complicated i mean like it's yeah. a straightforward idea for a show mm-hmm. but it's one of those shows and i think thrones can be this way too where like you you change your mind about the characters mm-hmm. every episode and, like, sometimes you're so mad at Walt because he's being so selfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, again, in this monologue, everything, all of your sympathy and pity goes to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, do you guys know, uh, was there any hesitation on the part of, of when they were casting this with Brian, uh, Brian Cranston? Yes. Because he was, he was about in the middle, so, right? Yeah. I, I know the story he's about this, Seinfeld. and it's great. But um, Vince Gilligan yeah. yep. uh, cast Brian Cranston in an episode of X-Files back in the 90s. Yes. Really? And he never forgot his performance in that because he had to play like a sympathetic uh, uh, monster. White right? supremacist basically, yeah. yeah. And so, and it's like he has like a bomb in his heart and it's like a rip off of speed kind of, <laughs> but it's just his body that's a bomb. Um, but he never forgot him. And so when it came time to cast uh, for Breaking Bad, his only choice was Brian Cranston. Mm. And everyone was like, the dad from Malcolm in the Middle. Like, no. But did, did he ever go, it will work because if you see the transition with this character, he is that Malcolm in the Middle yeah. character, yeah. kind of. Yeah. I think what to he go actually... To what he became. It's yeah. Like, I think it's, it works so good. I think he pushed more the episode of X-Files because okay. I, I've seen that episode of X-Files and it is something to be said about Brian Cranston that he can make somebody who is a villain and somebody who is not yeah. by any means likable in that episode. Like, you can... You can 
become understanding of him because he says racist crap throughout the entire episode, right. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> but you you like you still like understand like why he's doing the things he does in terms of the, the context of the episode. For sure. Um, yeah. So I think that pushed pushed it more than Malcolm in the Middle, at least for him to get the. Actual audition. I didn't even know he was in that movie. Yeah. Or TV show. Hmm. Yeah. I couldn't oh. help but kind of feel the influence of American Beauty on this scene. Really? Do any of you guys... Maybe it's just, just we just read it. the family drama. The family <laughs> drama... I know, I'm bringing it up again. Yeah. But didn't you feel like there was some satire in here, too, of, like, the oh, talking... Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. Like, it's my turn. Mm-hmm. Like, I just kind of felt like the suburban family... Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because I'm from the Midwest, mm-hmm. and this is just what we do. But it's, like, <laughs> the passive-aggression repression of what you really want to <laughs> yeah. say. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, like, I just... There's some co- like Breaking Bad was sometimes very funny. It oh, was very funny. It's, it's, funny. it's not a comedy, but the Fly yeah. episode yeah. where it's just like yeah. I'm stuck trying to kill a fly. Did you hear what's happening with the house right now? No. The people that own the house have erected a six what foot house? fence. The Breaking Bad house. Oh. A six-foot fence around the house because people go up and throw a pizza on the roof <laughs> of their oh house God. from that episode. <laughs> to this day, they're still doing wow. that. Yeah, it's never ending. That's if you hilarious. were like an iconic <laughs> house, poor yeah. But yeah, I just feel like it's that's a very funny, very funny parts of that scene. Oh, it's a, yeah. it's a hilarious yeah. show, like throughout, and that's what I yeah the satire and like uh, the talking pillow and all that. It's just mm-hmm. it's just perfect. So thanks thanks for reading that for me, guys. Everyone did yeah. great. Yeah, good yeah. job, Andrew. It was yeah, fun. Thanks. Uh, up next, we have Roxamillion scene. Uh, <laughs> this is a show I also People have called me that my whole life. I, yeah. I don't know whether you knew that or you just knew that. I just found it today. So good. Yeah. Um, give us the tea, Roxy. So I think this is probably, it's between me and Adrian for this one, but the least iconic of the scenes. I didn't pick mm-hmm. something because it was iconic. I picked something because I loved it mm-hmm. um, and because I thought that you guys would nail it and could see these people being cast in these roles. Um, even though we are bender gender, uh, gender bending a little bit, <laughs> bender gending. Uh, I love Girls. Girls is one of my favorite shows, and a lot of the scenes stick with me. I know that some people have a problem with the show, uh, but I'm also a little plug for the Tomorrow Show. We're interviewing Judd Apatow in mm. a couple of weeks, um, nice. so I've been going back through That's a lot of things that he's had a hand in. Um, oh and I think that I know that Lena Dunham is a very divisive person uh, but I think she's brilliant mm. whether I like her politics or whatever it is in general is a different story but I think she's brilliant and mm. what she did with Tiny Furniture and Making Girls it's just it's unbelievable and casting her best friends and her friends from college and like literally putting her thumbprint all over this uh, she's a genius so I thought we would pay homage to her with a scene from season one episode seven of Girls great cool. Um, casting really quick. Yeah, the casting on this one, I'm going to play Hannah, which is Lena Dunham's character. Um, Adam Driver's character, who's also named Adam, is going to be played by Andrew, and Marnie is going to be played by Tim. Awesome. <clears throat> Exterior train tracks nighttime. Adam and Hannah sit on the tracks. You okay? Hannah picks up her phone. It's Marnie, her best friend. Hello. Where are you? Like a fucking heap of trash somewhere? I don't know. Oh, send me a drop pin. Okay. You okay? Be a lot more okay if you leave me alone. I'm sending a drop pin. Okay. Taco told me you're an alcoholic. I don't drink, no. But you're like an AA. That's a whole thing you never told me. It's been a part of my life since I was 17. It's a big part of my life. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're drinking, you can't steer your sinking 4th of July boat, but you never told me. You never asked. Was I supposed to fucking guess? Because you don't really seem like you're in recovery for much. I mean, I think you might be a sex addict. You're right. I may be. Again... That's shit you should have shared. You never asked. You never ask me anything besides, does this feel okay? Or do you like my skirt? Or how much is your rent? 
I'm not going to fucking talk your ear off about shit you don't ask about. You don't want to know me. You want me to come over in the night and have me fuck you like, or fuck the dog shit out of you, and then you want me to leave and write about it in your diary. You don't want to know me. Do you ever even think about me when I'm not there? See? (laughs) Marnie pulls up in a car. Step away from her. Who are you? I'm her best friend, and I will not hesitate to press charges that you don't step away from her. I know all about you and your sick instincts, okay? And I'm not scared to be very clear with people about the kind of man that you are. (laughs) I'm so fucking out of here. Adam walks away. Oh, that's a real change. I'd never expect that from you. You sound like a school teacher. Yeah, well, enjoy going through life as yourself. Wait, Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah gets up and brings Adam his backpack. Your backpack. Thanks. Hannah. Look, kid, I don't know what you want from me. Do you want me to be your boyfriend? Is that it? Do you want me to be your fucking boyfriend? Woo! Um, just so you guys know, it hard cuts to all three of them in the back of a taxi with the bicycle sitting in front of them. That's the next yeah. shot, oh. which so is this, just great. This is kind of where their relationship changes. Like it's it's one of those things where um, they've been fucking the whole time, and it's like you think that they probably treat each other like crap, and it would never go anywhere. And then they're the will they won't they for the rest of the mm. six seasons. So <laughs> do they? This is a uh, they. Uh, Watch the show. It's kind of spoilers, but they at some point they definitely do. Um, mm. But then at other points they definitely don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, One thing yeah. I really liked about this scene was a lot of people accused Lena Dunham of just writing a character that was just her and putting it on screen. Mm. But that felt like a totally different reading of the show, and it still worked very well, mm-hmm. which I think speaks to the fact that it's a well-written show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, please. Sit. I would love to hear Why that. did they, what was the problem with it? If it was just writing herself, well, what's wrong? I think that a lot of people, so like she's naked for 50% of the show mm-hmm. and a lot of people were like, this is her letter to Hollywood about who she is and mm-hmm. how she's not going to be ashamed of who she is. And like the promo for the show season one was this girl saying like, I'm 15 pounds overweight and it's had, my whole life is dependent on that or whatever it is. And she's like naked looking in a mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, so people were bothered that like, she wasn't maybe that talented of an actress that she just wrote herself and put herself in something. But she's very different than this character because you watch the character completely change from mm-hmm. season one um, to season six. Yeah. I think in the final season, she really is herself by yeah. the end of there. But yeah. when we start, I don't think this was her. And it's also just growing up. Like, yeah. you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I'm a Lena Dunham fan. I'm not. But <laughs> um, there's something to say about people get older and people change. If you run into, you know, 22-year-old version of yourself, that person is not going to have much in common with the 30-year-old version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. So I get that. And as for her, like, writing herself into stuff, I mean, Woody Allen. I just think, and I'm, I'm with you, Adrian. Like, I, I go back and forth, and she says some things that really piss me off yeah. that are so inappropriate. But I do think that she deserves credit where credit is due because it's like, it's insane. I mean, she created Adam Driver's career, mm-hmm. period, mm-hmm. Yeah. which is like, a he's going to be one of the biggest stars of our time, I he's think. And star he are, yeah, he yeah. is. And then with her, and then putting Mamet's daughter in it, um, mm-hmm. all of them, the girl from who was also in Get Out. Uh, uh, Brian Williams. Yeah, yeah, Allison <laughs> Williams. Um, it's Allison. just like, she, this was stacked. Like mm-hmm. she, and she just legitimately said, like, I'm making this, I have creative autonomy, I'm casting my friends, my college roommate, and this guy that I think's really good, and that's what we're gonna do. And I'm gonna star in it. Yeah. Like, do you guys, and I, th- I, don't, I don't know if I said it in the episode we did, but hearing you say that, this, girls, and Lena Dunham reminds me of those two girls 
that wrote oh. the underground um, comedy. Yeah. Hannah and Dania. That yes. they reminded me so much of girls and Lena Dunham and like just if they went and did it on their own and, and produced it. I just got that same vibe from Right. Have yeah. you seen ti- has anybody seen Tiny Furniture yeah. her, yeah. her yeah. movie? Yeah. It's what's wild about it is that it's like totally fine. Like it it does the job. It's not yeah. like this brilliant movie, but it was all it took um for Judd Apatow to see to be like I'm going to produce this. Mm-hmm. What do you got? And her mm-hmm. original one sheet that she gave him about what girls was is literally the most atrocious thing I've ever seen. Like <laughs> Which it, she agrees with. It, yeah, it was it, it's outrageously bad. Like it doesn't even make sense. But he believed in her and wow. the show. Yeah, it was really cool. So thanks for reading that with me, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm thanks. just I'm glad you brought in a scene from Girls because I we've danced around it, but like people just accuse it of being purely Lena's show, which it is her voice. Like it's mm-hmm. completely her voice and her vision. But I want to speak to the strength of a writer, like the writing, because mm-hmm. I think like even maybe more than her acting or her politics, she's just a really gifted writer. Yeah, because I've never seen Girls. Yeah. And like I've never I've never seen one episode of it. And I like reading the scene, I like I have no idea what's going on, but I it's just a really, really well written scene. And Adam is a character that you'd want to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not the lead character, but he's like a, a male character that any guy would want to kill for because he's he seems pretty legit. Yeah. You know? he seems yeah. pretty like straightforward. He has a great role. I love the way you played it. And all of you guys played it differently than how the show presents his characters, mm-hmm. which again just speaks to the fact that the scripts of this show are strong. It's such a mm-hmm. specifically interpreted vision of millennials mm-hmm. that can be played in different versions of millennials, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that read. Tim, I like oh. you as like kind of the BFF. <laughs> You're yeah. so good. Yeah. It, it's funny because she ends up like the actual show kind of steers away from Marnie and really by the end like it's her and her gay best friend who live together. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I feel like that if this scene was then it would have actually been him. It could have been Elijah. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, Elijah's well, um, like, yeah, well, enjoy going through life as yourself. Yeah, is really beautifully well yeah. written. The yeah. show can be so funny. And like, Rox, I'm used to Hannah being a little more self-pitying and a little more contained, but I think I liked the aggression and <laughs> unawareness you brought mm-hmm. to it. I just think it speaks, these characters are on the page first. Mm-hmm. And there yeah. is room for actors to interpret yeah. these characters how they want. Yeah. I think that's yeah. why I love this project, yeah. because we can interpret these how we want to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Cool. That's cool. Um, Andrew, as if someone, did you, do you have opinions about yeah. Girls at all? I No, I don't really know enough about it to have an opinion other than, like, I know that I should watch it. Well, like some, some people it, hate least. it. That's what, like, I, a couple of comments you guys have said where she's gotten so much flack for this. I, I don't understand. If this is a girl that had a voice, when created her own project, mm-hmm. like, I think that's the... You know what I think? Of I think actors, like if, you, if people are not creating the work you want to see or you're doing, go do your own thing. And yeah. she did that. Mike, yeah. I think what you just uh, said, like you problem? just said it, it's a girl. If it was a man, yeah. there would be no, there would you're be like right. no, yeah. like look at, look at she's <clears throat> Judd Apatow or look at the guy who created Mom. I forget his, the writer who created Chuck Mom. Lurie. Chuck Laurie. Chuck Laurie. I mean, I these people write their own voices all the time, but nobody says anything. But once a woman does it, it's completely And because story. it was successful, they have a problem with it? Is that what it, what it is? Like, I, I'm like, I think people have a problem with her. She's She's very accessible in terms of like, has books, a podcast, all this stuff, and she yeah. says things that are extremely divisive, like, I wish I had an abortion mm-hmm. while she doesn't have so a child. So she's playing by the Hollywood rules. Right, of so her. she, okay. she yeah. says things that could be taken offensively, uh, but I think she's brilliant. Like, I think yeah. she's an absolute genius, and we'll be seeing more projects from her. But also, like, she had a, a couple episode arc on Scandal, and she did a great job there. <laughs> that I horrible wig. Yeah, that, yeah. That, oh, was, that was awful, but it was a different kind of role. I think we'll see what she can really do, but as a creator, more so than as a performer, That's what I'm saying. I think I, she's gold. She did that. I was like... Yeah, it's, yeah. Pretty, it's pretty awesome, and she's super young, and that kind of thing hadn't been done before, and yeah. this is a whole different show. I and think she, Lena Dunham, like, is the perfect 
perfect embodiment of what people both really admire and really make fun of about millennials. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like she's just, like, the embodiment of kind of, like, what people think the millennial voice. She's the voice of a generation. It's it's kind of similar to It's Always Sunny. Do you watch It's Always Sunny? I've seen it. In the sense that, like, you hate every single character on the show. Like, there's there's so many Mm -hmm. non-redeeming characters that it's like, why the hell am I watching these characters that I hate? But it's because the show's so good. So people had a problem with that, too. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Any last thoughts about girls? No. I think it really opened the the door for at least in terms of HBO to to take chances on other people's work. Mm. Um, a lot of web series <laughs> after Girls. Uh, I've I've seen two minutes of Girls and I was just like, it's just not for me. Mm-hmm. And people were like, well, why? You know, it's like representative of women. And I was like, not this one. <laughs> like, and yeah. I was like, and that's fine. It's not even about. It's just like. I come from a different income and different lifestyle, and that's fine. It's just not, I don't have any interest in it. Um, it does have similar problems to Friends. It's like exactly. four white, rich very white people in New yeah. York. Like, yeah. And not everyone, like, even if, uh, I'm certainly not poor, but, you know, I, I understand what it is to be broke consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think that because she was, they pulled her work and did that, that's why you have things like, Insecure or mm-hmm. or Brown Girls, which is a web series that's coming to HBO, or um, High ma- High Maintenance. Maintenance, yeah. Um, so Broad that City. kind of opened the door of HBO to a chance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was going to ask you. Yeah. Broad City as that, well. That with that. Love. Yeah. So that kind of any, uh, always in Philadelphia was also like a really just one off thing. So. I heard that um, that it's like you know when people say it's this meets this mm-hmm. that girls is like now the new standard that like 50% of people who are pitching shows yeah. are like it's mm-hmm. blah 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 meets girls yeah. okay. you know mm-hmm. so brown girls yeah. Yeah. it's girls with, with brown, brown people yeah. <laughs> green light exactly. she's made a stamp a very tangible yeah. stamp on the entertainment industry yeah um, oh, good choice she's like 30 yeah, I, think, she's I think 28 oh really yeah. No, she, yeah we're the same age she's 31 but wow. she, the, HBO greenlit this show when she was 23 which is just yeah. like there's no denying her giftedness yeah yeah, yeah. so cool um, well great choice Rox very well read I really enjoyed it especially as a fan of the show it was fun to see it feel a little different so yeah. Yeah. good job guys alright uh, Adrian <laughs> let's, yes I, I know very little about um, what you're presenting yeah, so. This movie. so this is one of my all my movies like that I consider to be iconic are things that like everyone else hates so <laughs> um, like I love Batman Returns I don't care what anyone else <laughs> thinks I love Dirty Dancing Naked Gun like those are my go-to's <laughs> And um, the one we're reading is Hot Fuzz, and <laughs> it's not iconic, but for <laughs> me, it's one. Of, I'm I'm rarely fooled. I usually figure out what the the big catches of a movie or the big mystery of a movie mm. early on. And so I came into this saw it as a like a, a two for one thing at some movie showing where we sh- we watched Shaun of the Dead and then Hot Fuzz, mm. and the whole time I was like, oh yeah, yeah, like it's just like. Skinner is the killer. He's like a crazy serial killer. So it's about this uh, sergeant who has to move to the country because he's too good at his job in London. Like they, like the opening shot is him having Dude, making sit down, us all look bad, making us all look bad. <laughs> and so they they actually fire him and or make him transfer because he's just too good at his job. And they send him to the country where like there hasn't been a recorded murder. And I say that very clearly: a recorded murder in like twenty years at, at, in this town. And when he starts to notice is that, like, people keep dying, like, in the most random of, of ways. Like, you know, like, they get into a car accident and their heads are severed. <laughs> and, and then, like, somebody's house explodes because he was drunk and left the oven on. <laughs> and they're like, 
And he's like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, this keeps happening. Like, you don't think this is weird? And so um, this is the scene that we're about to do. If you've never seen Hot Fuzz, like, this is the reveal of, like, what actually happened. Cool. And when I saw this on television or in the movies years ago, I was blown away by, like, the simplicity and the understanding of, like, uh, that British comedy that they can <laughs> build it up in that kind of American action film way, and this is a send-up to that, and then just completely crush it by the, like, the most mundane reasoning. Mm. So, awesome. Raise your hand if you think that Jeff should read this with a British accent. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. Yes. <laughs> oh, and it's written by Edgar Wright and uh, Simon Pegg. Mm-hmm. Yes. Interior, exterior, squad. Oh. <laughs> casting, sorry to interrupt. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh casting, yeah. good call. Yep. Um, but you were doing so great. You were. You were. Yeah, you were doing so good. You. Sorry, sorry, sorry to it's mess up right. your flow. It's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm reading for Nick, though I don't think I should ever do this part. But um, <laughs> uh, Andrew's reading for Frank, uh, Roxy, Skinner, Reverend Shooter, Mike, Weaver, Roy Porter, Porter Haley, Joyce Cooper, Reaper, Mary Porter, Tim, uh, Danny, Dr. Hatcher, and Annette Rupler. And I didn't put too much emphasis on like who should be in which role I think they're all kind of just very interesting people and um, they're all British so <laughs> let's do it good so luck all the same. let's do it <laughs> like, okay and we're starting from squad car is that right uh, yeah that'd be okay, great. Great. interior exterior squad car day <laughs> Danny and Angel sit in their usual spot as the high street is being decorated with bunting Danny looks at Angel where, where she stares off into space look Nicholas Mr. Teach has got his big coat on again Want anything from the shop? Canetto. Interior newsagent day. Danny buys two ice creams from a smirking Annette Roper. Angel watches on morosely. No luck catching them killers, then. It's just the one killer, actually. Exterior square day. Danny throws some change into the fountain. They get into the squad car, licking their ice creams. Annette's words echo in Angel's head. No luck catching the killers, then. Licking his ice cream, Angel ponders Danny's response. It's just the one killer, actually the words resonate. Angel stops eating his ice cream and his eyes go wide. What's the matter? You got brain freeze? No, I got brain wave. <laughs> Get us back to the station now. Nanny starts the car whilst trying to finish as much of his ice cream as he can. He clutches his head in pain. Oh. <laughs> Exterior station day. The, scar- the squad car screeches to a halt in the car park. It's more than one person. Come again. More than one killer. It was Skinner a minute ago. Uh, oh, maybe it still is. Maybe he's not alone. Maybe there are others. Who exactly? I don't, I don't know, but we're buying connectors and suddenly hit me. You're an exceptional officer, Nicholas. Truly exceptional, but I've seen this before. Sir? Sergeant Powell, he was exactly the same thing. You've come from a city where there's danger around every corner and it's driven around a bend. Angel visibly sags. He becomes listless and compliant. Yes, sir. Listen, I'm due at a function in about half an hour, so do yourself a favor and sleep on it. If you feel the same way in the morning, I give you my word we'll get right on it. Thank you, sir. Exterior station day. Angel leaves the station, and Danny follows, confused. What happened? What's going on? Nothing. I just... I'm going to go back and crash for a bit. Uh, oh, okay. You need a lift? No, I, I could do with a walk. Angel walks off, feeling guilty. Danny looks forlorn. Exterior, Sanford High Park, dusk. Angel trudges home, and the street is festooned with bunting. Interior, Swan <laughs> Hotel... Thank you, everyone. Interior, Swan Hotel, rests... Reception. Reception, There's dusk. Angel slopes through the hotel reception. It is empty. A new Romeo and Juliet poster shows understudies, Greg and Sherry, smiling as the male and female lead. Interior Swan Hotel, corridor, dusk. Angel takes out his key, and he notices his door is ajar. 
the door, UFBO2 oh, no, flies oh, open. Flies open. Anytime it says that, it's just FL. Sorry. Okay, no worries. Yeah. The door. <laughs> I was so earnest. Flies <laughs> open. A huge cloaked figure lifts Angel off the ground and throws him inside and slams the door shut. Interior Swan Hotel bedroom, dusk. Angel hits the wall with a thud. He gets up and throws several punches at his attacker but stops, clutching his injured hand. The figure picks up the pit the figure picks Angel up in a bear hug, and Angel struggles struggles, pulling the assailant's hood off to reveal Lurch. They look at each other for a second, and Angel brings his fists down on either side of Lurch's hand. Lurch drops Angel holding his hands. Angel kicks Lurch in the balls, and he barely winces before hurling Angel across the room into a painting of a castle. His notebook drops off onto the floor. Lurch lumbers toward him, and Angel grabs the cuddly monkey and looks and looks throws it in Lurch's direction. Lunch Lurch catches <laughs> Lurch catches it and is momentarily charmed, hypnotized by the monkey's cute eyes. A whistle from off screen. Lurch turns to see Angel upright, brandishing his beloved pot plant. Playtime's over. Smash! Angel hits Lurch across the head, destroying his peace lily in the process. Lurch drops, his walkie-talkie clatters to the floor, crackling to life. Michael? Michael? Are you there, Michael? Is everything okay? Angel speaks into the walkie-talkie with a thick brogue. Yarp. Sergeant Angel's been taken care of. Yarp. He's not going to get back up again. Narp? Good. Proceed to the castle. Angel looks to a castle painting on the wall. He pulls out his phone and dials. You've reached Frank Butterman. Please leave a message after the beat. Frank, the shit just got real. Skinner just tried to kill me. He's going somewhere. Uh, the, the castle, I think. I'm going there now. I don't know who to trust. It's Nicholas, by the way. Angel turns to see Danny at the door and jumps a mile. Danny looks at Lurch sprawled among the pot plant debris. Oh, my God. What happened to your peace, Lily? Danny, stay here. Watch him. Call your dad. Tell him I was right. What are you going to do? I'm going to bust this thing wide open. Nicholas? Danny picks up Angel's notebook and puts it in his pocket. Thanks, partner. Exterior High Street night. Angel runs down the high street past a National Trust sign pointing towards Sanford Castle. Exterior, interior, castle ruins night. Angel approaches Sanford Castle ruins, a dilapidated 12th century castle. It looks spooky in the dark. Angel hears voices coming from inside, and we hear chanting. Angel peers into the main hall, and he sees several black-cloaked figures standing around a large circular stone tablet. They hold torches under their faces. Angel makes out familiar faces under the hoods. We see Tom Weaver, whose words echo in Angel's head. I can see what the entire village is up to. Angel looks to see twelve walkie-talkies on the stone tablet... Got everyone linked up with the walkie-talkie so we can keep each other abreast of any misadventure. Angel sees Skinner under one of the hoods, and his words echo. How can I be in several places at once? We see flashbacks of Florist Chase, now with angles that we didn't see previously. A second cloaked figure outside the greenhouse. A third cloak, Igor, out... Figure? (laughs) (laughs) A third cloaked figure behind the hedge. Angel spies some of the other faces. Joyce Cooper, Annette Roper, James Reader, Rev Shooter, Dr. Hatcher, Amanda Paver. We're basically just a group of volunteers who strive to keep the village just so. Angel's thoughts flash back to the fountain. We see Danny throw some change in, the penny drops, and we see the plaque. This fountain was generously restored with funds raised by F. Butterman, J. Cooper, Rev Hatcher, A. Paver... As the cloaked figures stop chanting and sit at the tablet, Angel is even more horrified by what he hears next. Quick announcement before we begin. Janet Barker has decided to call her boys Roger, 
and Martin, which is lovely. <laughs> the christening will be Saturday uh, next week, and all are welcome. Tom? The cloaked figures all swing their torches to Weaver. Thanks, Joyce. Now, we will be pleased to know that the tenacious sergeant angel has been, cu- been taken care of. Thanks must be go to so- Simon Skinner for his efforts in this, and our very own Joyce Cooper will be discovered the officer tomorrow morning slumped on the wet floor of his Eswit bathroom. Having slipped in the shower and tragically bloke in his neck, Dr. Hatcher will take it from there. Indeed. Am I say very well executed, Simon? I will, of course, pronounce the death as accidental. That is, after all, what I'm here for. <laughs> all torches to Dr. Hatcher. There are mild chuckles. With Sergeant Angel dispatched, we, will can, we can concentrate our efforts on eradicating our hoodie infestation, after which nothing will stand in our way. Oh, I back to differ, Mr. Weaver. All the torches spin to the direction of the voice. Well, 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 I see we have some visitors. Angel walks into the torch beams, warrant card aloft. Sergeant Nicholas Angel, Sanford Police Service. My, he is tenacious, isn't he? (laughs) I'm placing you all under arrest on suspicion of conspiracy to commit murder. Oh, come, come, Sergeant Angel. You should be ashamed of yourselves. This is supposed to be the community that cares. Oh, but we do care, Nicholas. It's all about the greater good. The greater good. What do you mean, the greater good? The greater good. Sanford, Nicholas, the village. A happy village is a healthy village. Perfection breeds contentment, and contentment is paramount. (laughs) You see, as much as I enjoyed your wild theories, Sergeant, the truth is far less complex. Blower's fate was simply the result of his being an appalling actor. There's a murmur of appalling. You murdered him for that. He murdered Bill Shakespeare. What? Oh, I, yeah, I see. We see flashbacks of Martin Eloa's dressing room. Murder. Now we see new angles with multiple cloaked figures. The Sanford players is an important feather in our cap. We couldn't let Blower jeopardize that. Now, not when we had two semi-professionals waiting in the wings. <laughs> Skinner points to an older couple in cloaks who wave back. Let us not forget Greg was an extra in Yes, I know. Martin was less concerned with the reputation of the village than his sordid affair with Eve Draper. We see flashbacks of Eve mur- Eve's murder by multiple killers. And so Eve deserved to die too. She did have an annoying laugh. There's a murmur. Annoying. 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 And George Merchant. He had an awful house. There's a murmur of... Oh, it was so bad. We see flashbacks of, Mercher, of Merchant's accidental explosion. Now we see multiple cloaked figures engineering it. We begged him in vain to make his residence more in keeping with the village's rustic aesthetic. <laughs> what was Messenger's crime? Tim Messenger's tenure as editor of the Stanford Citizen has been unbearable. Our once great paper had become riddled with tabloid journalism and dreadful punnery. Not to mention persistent errors. He listed her age as 55. When I'm actually 53. The church roof was in need of repair and the insurers wouldn't pay unless it was certified hazardous. Let's just say we killed two birds with one stone. Flashback of multiple cloaked figures (laughs) pushing the terrace. What about Leslie Tiller? One of your own. Her horticultural expertise helped put Sanford on the map. She was ever so good. Oh, Cousin Leslie was a terrible shame. But it seems she was set on moving away. Way to stop her before she shared her green fingers with everyone else. Not least the heathens at Euford Abbey. The NWA simultaneously spit <laughs> If on we the can't ever, no one can. How can this be for the greater good? The, the greater, greater good. good. Shut good. it! These people died for no reason, no reason whatsoever. Oh, I wouldn't say that. All torches move to the voice. To Angel's horror, it's Frank. He wears the era-fashioned police cape. I was like you once, Nicholas. I believe that the immutable word of the law... <clears throat> that is until the night Mrs. Butterman was taken from me. 
You see, no one loved Sanford more than her. She was the head of the Women's Institute, chair of the floral committee, even ran the neighborhood watch before Tom. When they stated that the village of the year <clears throat> when they stated that the village of the year contest she worked round the clock, it became her life. I've never seen such dedication. On the eve of the educator's arrival, some arrival <clears throat> some travelers moved into Callahan Park. <clears throat> Before you could say gypsy scum, we were knee-deep in dog muck, thieving kids and crusty jugglers. We lost the title, and Irene lost her mind. She drove her Datsun cherry into Sanford Gorge. The inquiry said that it was an accident, but I knew better. From the moment on, I swore I'd, cost her, I'd do her proud, and whatever the cost, we'd make Sanford great again. Mm. Sir, that doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense, Sergeant. Frank gathered together a group of the most faithful Centiforians and showed us all that we might rid our streets of the pedophiles and the perverts. The shoplifters. The shirtlifters. The, the punks and the drunks. The thieves and the mugs. The hams, the shams. The drifters, the gritters. The dodgers, the boggers. The hawkers, the stalkers. The gypsies and the tramps. And thieves. And pedophiles, the perverts. Yeah, you've heard them. The educators arrive tomorrow, Nicholas. They were supposed to arrive in a couple of months, but they brought it forward for some reason. We had to make sure everything was ready. Are you are you saying this is all about winning the best village? Really? This is the best village, Nicholas. You've seen the people. They're happy, contented. Most of them don't even know about our work. They have very normal lives. Very, very normal. Very, very, very normal. normal. living in a dream world. Precisely. No crime, no tension. A sheer bliss. 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 It's nice, I like it. We Happy. created this society you dream about. Isn't that worth preserving? Not with murder. Sergeant Powell thought the same as you. I'm disappointed you can't see the bigger picture. Well, I'm happy to disappoint, sir. And I'm afraid you're going to have to come with me. You're all going to have to come with me. No, Nicholas. I'm afraid it's you that has to come with us. Mm. The NWA reveal an array of weapons from under their cloaks. Axes, scythes, pitchforks, knives, etc. Out of the shadows, a bruised and angry lurch slaps a hand on Angel's shoulder. Angel is shocked. Another hand lands on his other shoulder, and he turns to see... Danny! No, no! Danny is silent. He and Lurch wield knives and torches. With lightning speed, Angel ducks out of the grip, grabs Lurch's blade, and spins behind Danny and holds it to his throat. He takes Danny's torch and shines it at the NWA. Now back off all you, or you'll be explaining to Danny to everyone how Danny accidentally tripped and cut his own head off. The NWA continue to close in, and Frank laughs. Oh, come on, Nicholas. You haven't got it in you. I mean it. They close in further. <laughs> Shit. Angel throws Danny to the ground and runs into the woods. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I love that movie. No, yeah. When I go back and watch it and I hear it, they say make Sanford great again, they made this in like yeah. 2005. <laughs> so, <good. laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. so creepy. Yeah. But yeah. And, and make Germany great again. So <laughs> it's a whole list of things that have mm-hmm. happened in the past. Good job, America. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, that was really fun. Mike, first of all, I think you should be um, the new Mary Poppins guy. What's his name? The oh. chimney sweep? Chimney sweep. Chim- oh. oh. <laughs> I think Lin-Manuel Miranda's playing that, but yeah. is it Rolf? I no. I'll take his role. That's, that's, sound that's, of music. that's the sound of music. <laughs> Um, Dick Van Dyke. Dick, yeah, yeah, Dick Van Dyke. I, I just call it. You Dick just do such a like likable Cockney accent. <laughs> I think all my accents, Spanish tries to be. It's my Michael Caine. Yeah, yeah. Michael yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty good. And Michael Caine's always trying not to sound like Michael Caine. We get it on DC Movie News a lot. I'm pretty oh, excited about Caine. it. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to talk about. This is like clearly like a satire parody mm-hmm. kind of. I think of like Airplane or Scary Movie mm-hmm. or any of these. 
What makes it? What did? What do these scripts need to work? Do you think? I think, as someone who grew up watching a bunch of action films, um, you have to know what you're talking about. So, mm-hmm. like, there's a big reference to Point Break, and there's references to Bat Boys too. Like, it's like something they talk about in the movie because one of the uh, Danny's characters like is obsessed with action films. So, I think when you when you do a satire, I think. Um, I think you really actually have to love what, what you're yeah. what you're making a satire of. You can't just go in and kind of be like, oh, well, we're just going to make fun of this thing. Because people who really uh, love it or grow up with it will catch it immediately. Like, mm-hmm. there are things in the actual movie that, as I'm watching it, I'll be like, oh, okay, that's a reference to this movie, or that's a reference to that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've seen all these action films, thanks to my father. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's how you, you have to kind of understand the send-up that you're doing, and you have to take it seriously like yeah. what I really like about Simon Pegg in this movie is that he takes everything so seriously and um, all the characters who are the the town and the, and the killers they are so sweet and so kind so sweet so sweet so kind the greater good and like throughout the movie any, any, anytime someone says the greater good somebody always repeats it yeah. like every single time let's practice yeah. the greater good the greater good, the greater good. Yeah. Um, I think that's yeah. what makes this so strong this this scene in particular is that you also have to have a really strong ensemble cast mm-hmm. yeah. because yes you do have your main character but it's really it falls on the ensemble cast to really yeah. make it satire because you're literally the only one who's the serious one yeah. and we're all like Batshit crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you like, have to be, you have to have a strong Or is she batshit crazy? Or the hand yeah. world. Oh. Uh, you know, we're, like this makes thinking. total sense. Mm-hmm. No, and I think that's what also they kind of, I think Edgar Wright and Simon Peck understood that and they cast, everyone who was cast in it has played in some action film at some point. So mm. Timothy Dalton played Skinner and I can't remember the other actors' names, um, but one of them was like the villain from Lethal Weapon 1 or Lethal Weapon 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he, they kind of understand like it's these people know how to play, like, sweet people, one. You never yeah. see Timothy Dalton playing, like, a nice guy who runs yeah. a grocery store, but he does in this movie, and he's also still, like, Timothy Dalton in this movie. Mm-hmm. So. And when you talk about, like, them making references to movies, I think it's mm-hmm. cool that they make references to, like, movies, not the ones that everyone references. Yeah. You know, like, how often do people reference the shooting in Point Break? Like that. Nobody part, references you know? it. It's, it's <laughs> such a great moment. Such a dumb beautiful scene yeah. like when because it's so dumb and so dangerous and no cop would act should they do should that yeah. <laughs> like, but like just the that moment i mean point break is for i think for like a 90s kid one of those strangely iconic movies oh, yeah. that you don't want to think of it as iconic as it is but yeah. you know because it's so dumb like roadhouse but um I have an appreciation that they have an appreciation for those ones. Yeah, that's an important point. I think, like, in writing, it's important to have affection. No matter what the tone of your script is, you have to have affection for, like, what you're writing in the characters. Mm -hmm. Or it just won't play quite right. Because even, like, in Girls, for example, those characters were kind of terrible. Mm -hmm. But you can tell Lena Dunham loved writing them. Yeah. So I think that's, like, such an essential part to a successful script. I think, have you guys seen the Book of Mormon, the musical? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When Matt Stone and Trey Parker were doing the tour for that movie, all these journalists were like, so you must hate Mormons, right? And they're like, no, we love Mormons. They're like, why would we spend ten years of our lives dedicating all this work to a group we hated? Yeah, we and just the Mormons make fun of them. Understood that yeah. one. They advertised in the playbill of the Mormon Church, yeah. so yeah. they were like, we get the joke. So funny. You need to you need to have affection for the characters <laughs> and people you make fun of. I think. Yeah, I think there's when something's um, or like like when something's written poorly or like a comedian, like a stand-up comedian, tells a joke and nobody appreciates or the people that they like I've heard people make jokes about black people stand up comedians 
and like frowned upon it. And then, but I'll laugh at someone else's joke. And my friends will ask me, well, why, why did you laugh about that person's joke but not the other? I was like, because like um, Bill Burr has a joke about lotion and like how black people love lotion. And I was like, because he's not wrong. We use lotion. <laughs> and I was like, and, and he talks about how his girlfriend at the time talked about how he was ashy and that white people are ashy yeah, and they should be using lotion. He's like, I lotion every day now. Yeah. And I was like, that's funny because yeah. it's true. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's yeah. not like he just like pulled that out of his butt. Like somebody said black people smell like soup in one, one stand-up comedian. And I was like, that's not funny because there's just no basis for any Wait, truth what? in that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And like they're like, oh. I was like, yeah, it's just, if you show an affection for the things that you're talking about, even if they are touchy subjects, Mm -hmm. if you show a knowledge or an affection for it, people will understand it. Like, when Bill Burr first started that joke, everyone was kind of like, oh, and then he's like, but no, I'm actually really ashy, and I do need those. That's a great point. (laughs) Well, very well read, everyone. Any last thoughts on Hot Fuzz? I'll make sure we get to these last few scenes, but um, Haley, we're up next. All right, so I picked a scene from When Harry Met Sally, which I love the movie, even though I fundamentally disagree with the premise of the movie, which is that men and women can't be friends because sex always gets in the way. But, like, it seems silly, and it seems a little dated, like, some of the stuff, but I still love it. The dialogue's so tight, and the back and forth is, like, exactly the kind of thing that I love. So the scene that we're doing is, um, just for some context, um, Harry and Sally have just met. They are driving from Chicago to New York together, so they're on this long road trip. They didn't really know each other. It was just through a mutual friend. So this is them, like, stopping off in a diner, and they're, like mid-conversation through this long road trip. Great. And you are playing Sally. I'm Sally. Uh, Harry is going to be Mike, and the waitress is Roxy. Great. Are we starting on page... 37, yeah. It's like Mm mid-sentence, so... Awesome. I don't think she wants to stay. Of course she wants to stay. Why would it... Why would... Wouldn't you rather be with Humphrey Bogart than the other guy? I don't want to spend the rest of my life in Casablanca married to a man who runs a bar. That probably sounds very snobbish to you, but I don't. You'd rather have a passionless marriage. And be the first lady of Czechoslovakia. Than live with the man you've had the greatest sex of your life with just because he owns a bar and that's all he does? The car stops in front of the diner, which is straight out of the 50s. Yes, and so would any woman in her right mind. Women are very practical, (laughs) even Ingrid Bergman, which is why she gets on the plane at the end of the movie. I understand. What? Nothing. (laughs) Harry crosses towards the diner, and Sally follows after him. What? (laughs) Interior diner. As Harry and Sally come to the door, a hostess is waiting. Obviously, you haven't had great sex yet. (laughs) A table for two. Right this way. Yes, I have. No, you haven't. He crosses away from her towards the table. It just so happens I have had plenty of good sex. (laughs) This doesn't go unheard by the hostess and other diners. Sally walks to the table and sits down. With whom? What? Who have you had great sex with? I'm not going to tell you that. Okay, fine. Don't tell me. <laughs> a long silence. <laughs> maybe they both look at the menu. Maybe they just sit there. Shell Gordon. Shell? <laughs> Sheldon. No, no, sorry. You didn't have great sex with Sheldon. <laughs> I did too. No, a, sh- you know, a Sheldon could do your taxes. If you need a root canal, he's your man. But between the sheets, it's not Sheldon's strong suit. I love you, Sheldon. Do it to me, Sheldon. I can't get enough of you, Sheldon. And I see, it just doesn't work. A waitress approaches the table. I'll have the number three. Oh, what kind of bread do you want Uh, that on? Surprise me. The waitress turns to Sally. You know what I'd like is the apple pie a la mode. 
Apple a la mode. But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side. And I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla uh, if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of a can, then nothing. Not even the pie? No, just the pie, but then not heated. <laughs> As the waitress leaves, Harry stares at disbelief at Sally. What? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> so how come you broke up with Sheldon? How do you know we broke up? Because if you didn't, you wouldn't be with me. You'd be with Sheldon, the Wonderschlong. First of all, I'm not with you. Second of all, it's none of your business why we broke up. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. I don't want to know. Well, if you must know, it's because he was very jealous and I had these days of the week underpants. <laughs> and judge's ruling on days of the week underpants? Yes, they had the days of the week on them and I thought they were sort of funny. And then one day he said to me, you never wear Sunday. He got all suspicious. Where was Sunday? Where had I left Sunday? And I told him, and he didn't believe me. What? They don't make Sunday. <laughs> Why not? Because of God. <laughs> really yeah. Such a good scene. Good old yeah. Nora Ephron. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I love the back and forth, but really, I mean, so so much of the movie is really like feels so dated. Like, of yeah. course they can be friends, and it's funny too. Like. Yeah, I know. I know the movie so well that it's hard not to just feel like you're doing yeah. an impression of right. these, yeah. these hard. famous people. I, but like, that's a good example of like Billy Crystal is annoying, and you don't really like him in the movie. He has great lines, and they're very funny. But like in real life, you'd hate this man. Mm-hmm. He's so annoying. But that's you know, it's a charming rom com, and I still love it. <laughs> no, yeah. I feel like even though some of it maybe hasn't aged as well as we'd like to think, some of it, I feel like, just sets so much important groundwork for, like, the witty rom-com. Yeah. You know, it does mm-hmm. feel like one of those iconic, important movies. And, like, however you feel about the dialogue, it is really sharp. Yeah, yeah. I think Nora Ephron always did a really good job of, of fleshing out all of her characters, because if you think about it, like, um, oh, no, why am I blinking on this? Oh, no. What are so you trying to think? The best friend. Who? Oh gosh, she just passed. Carrie Fisher. Carrie, yeah. Fisher. Oh, Carrie yeah. Fisher plays the best friend in this. Um, oh, the gentleman from the other—I can't think of his name either—but he was in the cowboy movie with Billy Crystal later on. Oh, um, uh, oh Daniel Stearns? Jack? Jack? No. Kirby? Jack no. <laughs> Kirby? Bruno? Something? Kirby? He's dark hair. Let's the comments. In any anyway. case, in any <laughs> case, uh, let us know. Um, They—they they are such fleshed-out characters that even when they, because they end up getting married instead of uh, Harry and Sally. But it makes it makes sense, Spoiler because you can't alert. see them always. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God, if you have not seen <laughs> Harry and Sally. Yeah, yeah. It's been f- almost 40 years. But, um, <laughs> no, it, uh, that's one thing I did always appreciate about Nora Ephron, is that her character seemed more um, fleshed out. Everyone had a... It, these weren't impossible characters, not yeah. like a rom-com where it just it didn't seem real. Well, what's good, too, is, like, I mean, I guess both characters, I just shit on Billy Crystal, but, like, <laughs> both characters are a little annoying, mm-hmm. but... You know, like, she, Sally is, like, uptight and type A and really, you know, likes things a certain way. She never has to apologize it in the movie ever. Like, she just is this way. You either want it or you don't want to be with it. Mm -hmm. And that's good. Like, I do like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, and I think what makes a good movie, not even rom-com, but any kind of movie in general, is having that that good back and forth quick dialogue like it's like almost ping pong where you're like you hit it to me I hit it to you really really quickly there's no like beats it's just like one after the other after the other I think that just I love those kind of scenes so I really appreciated this yeah I think, like, importantly, too, Nora Ephron wrote Women Who Like Sex, um, which now feels commonplace, but I think at the time was kind of revolutionary Mm -hmm. and, like, and honest. So the fact that this whole scene is positioned around a female sexual experience, I think is, like, really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you guys think she had sex with a guy named Sheldon that was really good? 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah. You think it was really good? Yeah. You know, it's always those nerds that, I don't think so. you know, <laughs> they know I how mean, to hit it. You're good with the nerd. Good nerd. <laughs> yeah, but I think that there's no shot that Sheldon was good. I think you made this up. The <laughs> only problem you is I've tell. got a friend named Sheldon who I is, from what I would guess, is probably pretty good. We love Sheldon. Yeah, yeah you listen to him. He's been on the show. Him and his boyfriend have been together for three years, so there's got to be something there, right? I'm not saying no Sheldon. I'm saying she made this up. Yeah, yeah. Not that women make things up. In this particular situation, guys, like the next scene, the the next moment is the orgasm, right? Isn't that the no? That's totally later. later. This is way early on. Oh, this is the when they're driving from college. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, Well, God bless Nora Ephron. It made me kind of sad reading this, just because she was such an important voice, and Mm -hmm. I even think like Lena Dunham probably wouldn't be where she is without Nora Ephron. So yeah, fun to read. Thanks for bringing that in, Haley, and very well read. Um, One more scene. Yes. Uh, I picked the, I guess it's famous, the diner scene yeah. from Heat, Michael Mann's Heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote and directed the film. Uh, I remember, God, this movie came out right when I was going into college, but it was the biggest thing. It was like, this is the first time De Niro and Pacino had a scene together. Mm-hmm. They've been in movies together, but they've never been in a scene together. And it's, uh, De Niro is a crime, you know, he just runs scores, that's his thing. Uh, and Pacino is a L.A. detective, and it's, there are these two trains coming on this collision to each other. Hmm. And they don't, they can't find the guys, and they keep giving the runaround for the crews and stuff like that. So I just, Heat's not one of my favorite movies of all time, but it's just Michael Mann and his love letter to Los Angeles, his yeah, films, absolutely, and just all his characters are so fleshed out. The way that they talk, it just, it almost doesn't seem scripted, but it's just. So this was the scene of them to finally, he pulls him over. And he's just like, you want to get a cup of coffee? So it's these two. Yeah. He has nothing on him. He can't arrest him. But it's just, there's this guy that knows is this murderer. Wow. And they're sitting in a diner. Yeah, I have a quick question. At the very yeah. bottom of the page, is that, it's just the one sentence, right? It's not both of them? Which one? I'm uh, sorry. Uh, the very first page, page. that we're doing. Uh, 43. 43. Yeah, it's one sentence. I don't know why. I think maybe in the page when I transcribed, uh, copied it from the script, it, it, so it's just. That's stage direction at the end. Yeah, right? yeah. Last, yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure. And then, um, yeah, because we covered this on AMA recently, yeah. and uh, this is the first scene they shot, and De Niro and uh, Pacino, De Niro insisted to man that they do not rehearse it because they wow. thought they would be oh. kind of uncomfortable talking to each other, mm-hmm. and they shot it like 13 times. I think they used like the seventh take. Wow. Yeah. I just went to a screening of this with Michael Mann. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, speaking at it, it was wow. interesting. I mean, that, that shootout scene is one of the most famous and well shot shootout scenes of all yeah, time yeah. and it's Wild. just Ever. Yeah. who's reading who for this uh, I'm, I'm uh, Andrew is going to read Neil McCauley which is uh, Robert Nier, and I'm uh, Vincent Hanna which is uh, Al Pacino great awesome okay cool. here we Woo-hoo. go exterior food stand Hannah and Neil night at a table headlights stream by to and from the airport business people families going on vacations people living normal lives who have never used guns to kill people <laughs> never experienced physical violence some who have never been stolen from and never steal Surrounded on all sides by this flow of normalcy. Seven years in San Quentin, in the hole for three. McNeil before that. Yep. McNeil's tough as they say. You looking to become a penologist? You looking to go back? I chased some crews. The guy's looking to fuck up and get busted back. (laughs) He must have worked some dipshit crews. I work all kinds. You see me doing thrill seeker liquor store holdups with a born to lose tattoo on my chest? No, I do not. Right. And I, I am never going back. The adversarial intensity is eye to eye. But don't take down scores. I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. (laughs) You never uh, want a normal type of life? (laughs) The fuck is that? Barbecues and ball games? That's part of it. That's nice. 
about your life? No. My wife spends half her time on the couch. My stepdaughter's got problems because her real father's a world-class asshole. And every moment, I gotta... I'm chasing guys like you. You know, a man told me once, you want to make moves? Don't keep anything in your life you're not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. So if you're chasing me and you gotta move when I move, how do you expect to keep a family? Are you a monk? No. I got a woman. What do you tell her? She thinks I sell swimming pools. And if you spot me around the corner, you're going to walk out on her, leave her flat, like that, not, not, even a, not even say goodbye? That's the discipline. What you left is pretty empty. Yeah? Maybe you and me, we should go, both go do something else, pal. I don't know how to do anything else. Neither do I. And I don't much want to. Neither do I. And oh, sorry. both of these guys look at each other and recognize the mutual, uh, mutuality of their condition. Uh, Hannah's light laughter. So we're sitting here, like a couple of regular fellas. You do what you do, I gotta do what I do. What happens if I'm there and uh, what happens if they're up in there and I gotta put you away? I won't like it, but if it's between you and some poor bastard whose wife you're gonna turn make into a widow, brother, you are going down. Because you don't have to do it, you, you, don't, you don't have to be there. You could have been, you could have been a mailman. There's a flip side of that coin. What if you got me boxed in and I, and I got to put you down? Because no matter what way, you will not get in my way. But now that we've been face to face, I would not feel good about that. But I won't hesitate. Not for one second. <laughs> Maybe it'll happen that way. Now who knows? Maybe we'll never see each other again. They look at each other for a moment. Neil's wry smile. Can we have the bill? <laughs> nice. Sorry cool. about the table directions there, guys. I was no, no, like no, right. pulling off the thing. Yes. I love that yeah. scene. Oh. I love it too. It's just well, you're an AMA guy. Do you want to talk about what action movies like? These scenes feel very like you and Ben, kind of. They're just like they're just so well written. Yeah. You know, like yeah, the, the I, tension, the drama. And it's it's not. He doesn't try to do like the conversation is so simple, but the subtext is so grand. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're talking about like some of the scripts. Like I don't think this was improv at all. I think no. every word of that was scripted out. Yeah. But they make it feel, you know. And I was I was debating to do this scene because it, it's you're so the way that they deliver those lines is so in your your train of thought. Mm-hmm. Just, What's so interesting about it is when you watch the movie. And when you go through and you read this scene, uh, it's it's like it's almost mundane on paper. Yeah. And that's what makes it so brilliant on camera is that, hmm. like, y- you would think uh, a less seasoned director or writer and less seasoned actors would try to make this scene more. They would yeah. try to bring the, the, the gravitas to it. But it's like the fact of how simple it is is, like, what just makes it so yeah. intense. Yeah. Well, you wait the whole movie just to see them do this. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's enough just yeah. that they're sitting there. They could literally say not one word and just sit there mm-hmm. and leave, and it would be. Yeah. It could have been so overwritten, too, right? Like Totally. These mm-hmm. mo- like these scenes are such a balancing act from a writing standpoint because yeah. if you don't do enough, the audience isn't getting what they want. Because right. when you're watching a 90s action movie, you want some of that a little bit heightened mm-hmm. feeling. Yeah. Yeah. But we've seen so many of these scenes just go off the rails, and if you stop believing them, 
the movie's ruined, right? right? Yeah. Like yeah. the scene from Face Off when John Travolta <laughs> walks in God, and so Nicolas bad. Cage. Listen, I love Face Off. I love Face I Off. I love Face Off. <laughs> but so I did dumb. not believe John Travolta for one second as Nicolas Cage. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think what I loved about this is that you had some balls, Mike, to pick a scene with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, as actors, like we get intimidated by like if 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 Roxy had to do a scene that was by Meryl Streep, you'd be like, oh my God, really? I have to do yes. a scene by Meryl Streep. <laughs> No, like, there's just like these scenes that you these these yeah, actors. I, it wasn't even like I wasn't even gonna try. Like I'm not even think about. I yeah. just want to do this, get the scene and get yeah. the words out. Yeah, the words. It's such a good like Michael yeah. Mann. Like as I'm getting old, like when I first saw that movie, and I remember the trailer. I expected more because I mm-hmm. wanted more action. I didn't. I wasn't old enough to understand that that's in LA the whole lifestyle. But now mm-hmm. that I watch it like that and Collateral, like I was torn between this and Collateral, which to pick mm-hmm. scenes from. So, yeah, but it, it is the way people talk. And, and you don't understand that it's when I was a kid watching this movie, but now you see it, and it's just like, and how it affects everyone's lives, and mm-hmm. he, Robert De Niro does meet the girl, and he does leave her. He sees her, yeah. and he just walks yeah. away from her. Yeah. It's just like, and, but they're also like the same person. Oh, yeah. Which is different sides of the track. They're exactly identical. They are, and that's why a scene like that when they meet, if you can feel their similarities and their opposition all at the exact same time, yeah. that's what makes that so thrilling, I think, well, to watch. Well, that's, that's why, I mean, I know it's not the same as film, but, like, procedural cop drama tries to get these moments in the writing right. often fails, mm-hmm. and it, like, let me tell you, I'm from the other side of the yeah. track, or where, like, you don't like, need to say on, it, man. we get it. We like, yeah. Yeah. It should yeah. be, yeah, I think that's a, a big problem is that things are often... There's some TV shows that I'm like, God, you don't have to. Tell I was watching us. Scandal. Please, we're not this I dumb. Like, like, I love Scandal, on. but you don't have to. I know. Yeah, it's, it's overwritten me. for sure. Yeah. You don't have to tell me this. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a scene where he's having coffee at a. It's kind of like a bookstore, and he meets Amy Brennan. Brennan, Brennan, is her name. Amy Brennan. Oh, she's kind of I love her so him. much. And he's like, Lots who's this? Is this a cop? Is she undercover? Like he doesn't ever let his guard down. When he finally so does, he's kind of a dick to her. But then that's another great scene I thought about doing. It's just. Michael Mann can write so good. Yeah. He well, just, thanks for bringing. I mean, it's been fun to read Nora Ephron and Alan Ball and Michael <laughs> Mann. And yeah, it's been great. I think it is funny though. There's still like we didn't we didn't read any Sorkin today, which feels no. a bit like a crime. Maybe we do the show. <laughs> you know, I would love to do this again. This is actually yeah. A lot of fun. There's, yeah. there's plenty of. There's oh, yeah. plenty Choice. of great scenes that we'd still love to read. Um, but I guess with that, we do kind of have to close the mm-hmm. show, guys. I think we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. Guys, this has been the Unproduced Table Read. Today we ran a special, and we did what I'm calling our scene study. And if you liked what we did today, let us know in the comments, because I think it might be fun to bring back in a while. And if you don't let us know, then we won't. So yeah. <laughs> or maybe if people have scenes that they are favorite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. Let us know what scenes you'd love like to that. see, Red. Yeah. Um, next week we're reading a kind of really exciting contemporary political drama about conflict on the Texas-Mexico border that I'm really excited about it's called cool. southern accents um eh, we'll see <laughs> oh yeah it's called Civil mexican accents oh i'd say if you're a fan of homeland check out next week's oh, show cool. Oh, cool. um guys this is the unproduced table read just so you know these scripts came to us heavily discounted um from ara printing um they're wonderful they're on magnolia boulevard in burbank and again they're fast they're awesome they're really kind and if you go with the promo code table read you'll get 20 percent off your order um, if you like hearing produced work read, we covered Friends um, <laughs> about 15 episodes ago, so you can check that out. Um, guys, my name is Jeff Graham. If you want to find me online, you can do so at Jeffrey C. Graham. I'm also hosting a show where I'm reviewing pilots with a couple of other really smart people awesome. on Wednesdays. And cool. um, so if you want to hear kind of my take on new pilots that are airing, that's Wednesdays at 10 p.m. on our sister network, After Buzz. What's it called? It's called TV Pilot Reviews. Nice. <laughs> yes. That's cool. yep. Clever. I'm Adrian Snow. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Adrian Snow. You can also catch me on Sundays on After Buzz for Outlander. 
Uh, I'm Andrew Guy. You can find me everywhere online at Andrew Guy. I'm Roxy Stryer. You guys can find me everywhere at Roxy Stryer. I'm Timothy Michael. You can find me everywhere at I am Timothy Mike. Haley O'Connor on Instagram as Haleywood. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Kalinowski at Mike Kalinowski. Thank you so much, guys. We'll see you next week on Friday at 10 p.m. 10 a.m. 10 a.m. <laughs> oh my god. I was like, oh, no. uh, yeah. I won't be here. Almost there. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. That's an enemy.